following message is from a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. And my name is Jeff, and I have the honor of bringing the message for today. And I'm super excited because I feel like this message is something that really honestly ministers to myself. It's, it's been a, a journey, to say the least. But every time I, I preach, there is a couple of phrases that I love to say just to get us in the right mindset and an open heart. So I'm going to say some phrases, and I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. So if you're a Christ follower, please repeat after me. Say, I am a child of God. I am loved by God. And I am the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Today we dive into the life of King David. King David. And I've been excited. Today we're going to learn about a principle of battle. We're going to learn how to fight. But it's not necessarily going to be a physical fight. It's going to be a spiritual one that goes beyond this lifetime. Again, as you see there, the title of my message is Another Year, Another Giant. Turn to your neighbor and just say that. Another year, another giant. Amen. I have a question. It's okay to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a fight. It's okay. We won't judge you too much. All right, all right. Oh, several. Oh, we got some we got some fighters. We got the sinners and the saints in the building. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But today again we're going to talk about a fight, the good fight of faith. And we're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel 21. Might mess you up a little bit cuz David and Goliath was 1 Samuel, but we're actually going to look at 2 Samuel. And the classic war hero, King David's here, but he's not the young stud anymore. He's actually in the latter years of his kingship. And something happens that's really interesting when it comes to battle. And Israel's at war again. So again, this is not the young David. This is the older David. And we're going to look at 2 Samuel 21, 15 through 22. And I'm going to read from the NLT version. It says, once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benab was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds. And he was armed with a new sword. And he had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you are not going out to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? After this, there was another battle against the Philistines at Gob. As they fought, Sibachai from Ushash killed Saph, another descendant of the giants. During another battle at Gob, Elhanan son of Jair from Bethlehem killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, 
He was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother, Shimea. These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word today, we know that your word is living and active. And Lord, I just pray that it would dive deep into the places of our hearts where we need to see the places that we are holding back or the places of fear that is causing us to not move forward in our faith. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I think it's safe to say that the majority of us have heard of the story of David and Goliath. You know, the story we just read, again, this is years after that original iconic battle. But let's recap for a moment just so we can have some context. Imagine now the prequel of this story of our main passage. There's a flashback and the wind is blowing. There's stillness in the air. There's tension. Everyone's eyes is watching. They have no idea what's going to happen next. They're anticipating two unlikely opponents as they step up. Man, what is going to happen? In all of Israel, no one was willing to face the Philistine giant, but what do we remember? Philistine giant from Gath. We remember that a young shepherd boy named David. While everyone was freaking out, what did David do? He had the confidence of God, and I could picture him walking up to all of them and saying, man, I've killed the lion and the bear. Send me. They're standing far from each other now. And he looks at Goliath in the eyes. And what does David do? David starts running towards Goliath as Goliath approaches him. And every pro everything probably felt like slow motion, like, oh my goodness, it's actually going to happen. And what does David do? He takes out the sling and the stones and shoo, 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 and releases. And out of all of the places where Goliath had armor, it hits him in the one place he doesn't, right between the eyes. Boom. He falls. And I could see it. It was probably really silent when he fell. And then out of nowhere, it probably hit them that they won. And the Israelites probably went crazy. I'm sure after that, the Israelites felt like nothing could defeat them. This is the story of many years ago before we reached this new point in our passage. Now let's pause for a moment, and I want to ask, have you ever felt maybe like the Israelites or like David, where something in your life was difficult, and it was like a giant in your life? Maybe it was a financial giant, a relational. You worked so hard. You conquered it. Now your, your marriage is doing well. Or maybe it was that one addiction that's plagued you for 20 years of your life, and you finally were set free. For others, maybe it could have been anxiety. You know, during the pandemic, some of us were so anxious, including myself. And then going outside, you finally felt free again. You were no longer paralyzed by fear. 
There's some of us that have been facing giants or giants of the past, depression, job loss, and maybe there was a victory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You remember those moments. Now, I want to say this, though. It's really good to celebrate those moments. Those moments are so good. They're so precious to God. And we should celebrate them with the people around us. But here's the thing. I think we also need to embrace and understand that Goliath may have been defeated, but what we learn here in 2 Samuel is that Goliath also had brothers. Another year, another giant. In our main passage, we see that these are actually, scholars say that, some, that these are actually the, the last remaining giants on the earth. And some scholars say that all four of them were brothers. Now, others don't say that. They say only one. But for the context of today, we're just going to say that and agree that they were the four brothers. And they were all from the city of where? They were from the city of Gath. Everybody say Gath. Now, I wonder what it was like to see these giants again. Were they like, hold up, we already defeated giant number one, Goliath. We got to face more. Or did they forget because it was many years ago of how big a giant actually was? Now, I'm six foot three, and these giants were, were assumed and known to be nine foot tall. So I was actually the shorter guy. It's okay, Dr. Steve, right? Nine feet tall, three feet more than me. That is massive. It was a different year. Another year, but it was another giant. In total, Israel faced a total, according to this text, a total of five different giants in battle. Now, quiz time. How many stones did David carry with him? Anybody know? He carried five. Could it be that this was a foreshadow of all of the battles? He only used one, but God is very interesting with numbers. Another year, another giant, another stone, another giant. The main passage says that in the thick of battle, it says David became weak and exhausted. David became weak and exhausted. This was their leader, the undefeated one. His passion, his desire was there. He wanted to fight, but in his limitation of his humanity, he couldn't be the same guy he used to be. And he was saved by Abishai. And I think it's interesting. Let's look at the text. Abishai says this. He says, you're not going out to battle with us again. Why risk nothing out the light of Israel? Let's pause for a moment. I think we can learn a lot from that as a church. Some of us in this room have a hard time receiving help. Have a hard time receiving grace and mercy from one another. But what we can learn from Abishai and, and when receiving help that it's not always just about you, but it's about something greater oftentimes. And I do believe that this was actually more about the kingdom of God. It's about carrying each other's burdens. You know, too, too often we get caught up in personal battles. And even right now, I've been talking about personal battles. But from the context of God's kingdom, everything is relative and connected. 
You suffer, the body suffers. We see that in, I believe, in, in Corinthians. Guys, the kingdom of God was never meant to be built on one person, except the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Amen? And I know it can be hard to get help sometimes, but there's more at stake that David saw in this moment because he actually listened to Abishai. He listened when facing another giant. Now, the reality is there will be times where we do have to fight the good fight of faith on our own. And even in the scripture, we see in the Psalms that David actually had to take a moment to encourage himself in the Lord. So there will be times like that. But as Christ's followers, fighting alone is actually never alone. God is always with us. He is our Emmanuel. Isaiah 41, it says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Yes, we will fight our own battles, but there will also be times where we just can't. And we need the people of God around us. I remember not too long ago, I was so, so low. And I can't share all the details, but like many, ministry is not easy. And even in my own life, I experienced some different church hurt. And I remember when I was so low during this time, I, I started developing actually PTSD from secondhand trauma. And the reason why I got secondhand trauma is because at one point in my ministry, it really felt like I became a suicide prevention hotline. I was involved with many different ministries, not just the local ministry, but the regional as well, and even on the national level. And it was hard. It got to the point where I started to realize that every time I would hear an iPhone message or a ringtone, it actually triggered me and put me into a state of panic. Even to this day, my, my ringtone is not the original one. And everything was challenging. I was so low. I was like David, and I was so weak. And I felt like everything that I worked so hard for in ministry was just hard. I had the desire, but I didn't have the capacity I was in my human limitations. I felt anxious. In certain contexts, I felt used. In other contexts, I felt abused. And here's the crazy thing. It even came to a moment where as a pastor and as a Christ follower for over two decades, it came to the moment where I couldn't even make a prayer out loud. I can't explain it to you, but the moment I would say, Heavenly Father, it would get stuck in my throat. And in this time, I had to allow my tears to speak louder prayers than my words could ever do. And when I looked at my wife, she saw it in my eyes. She knew something was wrong. And Peter, you know, Pastor Peter, he's taking a sabbatical. I hope it's not an emergency sabbatical, right? 
I actually had to take an emergency sabbatical where I had to take a sabbatical for two months. And it was out of emergency. So what did I do? I sought help. I had to humble myself. I had to get professional help, spiritual help. And I had to acknowledge that what was going on in my heart was not just about me. It was about my family. It was about my church. It was about the kingdom of God. And in the moments where I couldn't pray, you know what I did? I realized I was searching on YouTube, and I typed in prayers for those burned out. And you know what I did for two months? I let people that I didn't even know just pray over me. I let people that I didn't even know just worship, and I would worship with them through YouTube. I'm not going to lie, it was kind of weird clicking on these videos, right? But slowly and slowly, my heart began to get transformed again. And just last December, so at the start of this, I wore a, a wristband, and I didn't tell anybody except for my wife that I was not going to take off that wristband until I felt like I had the passion of God in, in my prayer life again. And after three years in December, I was able to take it off. So today, as I preach to you, I come from a place, man, I truly, truly love you guys. I may not know you, but man, I have the heart of Jesus again, where I could stand back up and fight. When David was weak and couldn't fight anymore, Abishai said, you've done enough. Let me step in right now. There's a story in the book of Exodus of Moses and the Israelites, and you probably know it. They're fighting the Amalekites, another different battle. And during this time when Moses was fighting, or as everybody was fighting below, he went to the top of the hill or the mountain, and he lifted his hands up. And when he was lifting his hands up, they were winning during the battle. But then what happened? His arms grew tired. So what happened after that? Aaron and her, his homies, they said, sit on that rock. We're going to help you lift up your arms. So he lift up his arms. They're winning. He lower them. They start losing. Right here, I don't know what happened. Right? I don't know what happened, but when it was up, they were winning. When I ask, who is someone that God is calling you to help or serve, who comes to mind? Or if I ask, are you the one who needs help? Is it a yes or a no? I'm sure many of us who are okay, we can probably think of at least one person we can serve or that we can pray for. You know, it's possible to glorify God in the way that we receive help even. And during that time when I was low, I had to receive help from my wife in new ways. I had to receive help from my friends in new ways. Again, it's possible to glorify God in the way that we even receive help. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. 
but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Guys, some giants we fight on our own, some we fight as a community. There's a battle, a very real battle between good and evil. We see the world talk about it all the time, make movies about it. There's a real battle between good and evil. And there is a real battle between the separation from God and communion with God. We need to learn how to fight our giants and also the giants of others. So say it again, another year, another giant. A giant may be so hard to defeat. But as we continue in the passage, we see that Abishai defeated the second giant. That after that, there's how many more? There's three more. That's a whole lot. Maybe for you, you had that one victory, and then another giant popped up. And then maybe another giant that's similar to the first one is back again. In certain spiritual circles, they call this a familiar spirit, a stronghold or a struggle or pain or a sickness or a disease that repeats again and again. A familiar spirit. Trigger warning, I'm going to speak briefly about some heavy topics generally um, that do refer to sexual sin. I do want to give you a trigger warning. In my life, there has been a familiar spirit of church scandal that I have closely been affected by. It's a giant where it feels like Goliath's brothers just keep on rising. I entered into ministry, formal ministry staff, at the age of 19. It's been 15 years, and out of my 15 years, I have actually witnessed firsthand six scandals, church scandals, of people I love, both on the offender side and the survivor side. And during each scandal, I'll be honest, man, it felt like a part of me died. And I even get emotional about it right now because at each of my church, it tore them up, tore them up. For those who don't know, I was the director of a youth conference called Joshua Generation. Maybe some of your kids have been there. It was referred to as J-Gen. And there was a scandal by a prominent figure. His name was Min Chung. And that, that word J-Gen was such a blessing in the past. And then now, for some, it's a trigger word. The scandal occurred and I was a director, and I had to make decisions with other, other directors that was so hard. And you know what's crazy? I became one of the directors on the same day I was notified of the scandal. This ministry involved over 100 churches every single year. And I prayed. I said, God, why? Why am I in this position? I don't want this anymore. I truly thought that I was there to help build the ministry, get to the next level. But when I went into prayer, the more and more I realized that I was there to help the ministry die well. Giant 
after giant, scandal after scandal. And I'll be honest, last month another giant came up. One of my friends is a part of another scandal that's ongoing litigation. And my heart is grieving. My heart is grieving. I'm fighting another giant of discouragement. You know, as someone who does recognize the power of spiritual authority and I even operate under it, man, I just, I just want to say I am so sorry. Now, yes, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all not perfect. But as someone who is a pastor, I am so sorry on behalf of what even the word pastor or spiritual leader has done to people in a negative way. And I know I don't have to say that. You guys have great pastors here. I don't even have to say that because I'm not, I'm not in the spotlight of a scandal or anything. But I felt like even saying that might bring healing to at least one person. For me, the Giants over the years has been church scandal. Guys, there's a very real enemy, the, the devil. And he, he may come attack us in the form of so many different ways that feel like giants. And while I was writing this question, it, it came up. If the devil knows he's going to lose, then what is he going to try to do? If he already knows the end, if he already trembles at the name of Jesus, what can he even do? There's three things that I'm going to briefly cover. There's three things that the devil can still do when we are at warfare with him. If you could put up the next slide. The first one is distract. He will try to distract you with the things that are not eternal. He will try to take your eyes off of God. Maybe even with things that are actually good. Number two, he will try to desensitize you. Hit you with those familiar spirits over and over and over and over again to the point where you don't recognize or have the awareness that something is hurting you. And the third one is, he's going to try to discourage you. He's going to make you lose hope. But I want to remind you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Amen? Which means that the devil can't take you down fully. But he will try to desensitize, distract, and discourage. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In closing, uh, praise man, you can come up at this time. I have one last point. Yes, there's another year, another giant. But my closing point is this, another giant, another victory. Everybody say that, another giant, another victory. If you go back to the passage in verse 22, it says, These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath. But David and his warriors killed them. As followers of Christ, the end is always victory for us. Amen? Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Brokenness, pain is defeated. But until we get to that day, we do have to fight. 
Going back to the prequel of our story, First Giant Goliath, there's something that we can learn. When David looked at Goliath, you know what he said? He said, I'm going to cut your head off. And I went on a really deep rabbit hole about David and Goliath. I, I researched his bones, just all these random things. I spent way too much time studying him. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to see how does that relate to Jesus? After defeating Goliath, the Bible teaches us that he took Goliath's head to Jerusalem. I just told you, he said he's going to cut his head off, and he actually did that. He took his head to Jerusalem. And the deeper I studied, the actual place that he brought the head was outside of the city gates at the top of the hill of Jerusalem. And I started to lean in, and I was like, man, why doesn't anybody talk about this? There's something really fascinating and crazy here. And I began to learn from different Bible researchers that the place where he brought Goliath's head is studied to be the same area where Jesus walked on Calvary to the cross. Matthew 27, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. This is where Jesus was carrying the cross. Why was it called the place of the skull? We know it as Golgotha. We also know it as Calvary. We sang it earlier. Both the words Calvary and Golgotha mean skull. Where was Goliath's head? Where was Goliath from? Goliath was from Gath. Goliath of Gath. Where was Jesus crucified? Golgotha. Golgotha. Within the word Golgotha, you can hear Goliath of Gath. The place where Jesus was laid is the same place where Jesus defeated giants once and for all. Amen? We face our giants knowing that the king of kings defeated the giants of giants in sin, death, and the grave. Another giant, another victory. Guys, I want to encourage you, if you've been fighting for your faith, if you've been holding on, maybe it's been your own flesh, your addictions, I want to say, keep fighting, but don't do it with your strength. Do it with the strength of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Before I pray, I'm just going to ask a question as we close. I believe in physical actions of our faith. And I want to ask in this room, this is a safe place. And leaders, you can, for those who are leaders in this room, you can keep your eyes open. Everybody else, close your eyes. And I just want to ask, if you've been fighting a giant in your life and you desire the divine help of God right now, and you know I'm talking to you, can you just raise your hand? Put your hand up high. Amen. Amen. You can put your hand down. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each and every person that is here. And God, I want to specifically pray for those who just raised their hand right now. God, I pray, Lord, that your divine help, comfort, strength 
would be felt in this room right now, God. And in the times where maybe they are the ones who need to ask for help, I pray that you would even give the strength to them to do that. But more than anything, God, I pray that we would remember that you are the one that brings victory, that you are the one that can fight for us. So God, I just pray for your healing touch over them right now. And for everybody in this room that knows somebody is hurting and needs help, I pray that we would serve them in the way that you served us. God, we love because you loved us first. So we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what we see in your scripture. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.